The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Colorado, the land of skiing and snowboarding. The land of ganja shops where you can purchase hookah loads of northern lights to elevate you up to the aurora borealis. To bake you like a freaking Pillsbury cookie. Yes, the state of Rocky Mountain High ridgelines and viewpoints and Grateful Dead concert peddling nitrous balloons and grilled cheese frame of minds. They have a new solution to the injustice of the 2016 election. The one where the Electoral College decided over the popular vote. This is from The Hill. California Governor Jared Polis will sign a measure to award his state's electoral votes to the winner of the national popular vote, moving a countrywide coalition one step closer to circumventing the Electoral College. In an interview recently, Polis called the Electoral College an undemocratic relic of the nation's past, one he wants to see relegated to the dustbin of history. I've long supported electing the president by who gets the most votes, Polis said to The Hill. It's a way to move forward towards a direct election of the president. Colorado will become the 12th state to join the national popular vote interstate compact. Those 12 states in the District of Columbia, which has also passed a popular vote bill, account for 181 electoral votes, just under the 90 shy of the 270 votes a presidential candidate needs to win the White House. Yet again, a convention of states is considered a threat to the Constitution, one of those runaway convention of states, but just eliminating what gives equal and equitable treatment under their vote via the Electoral College is nah, dustbin of history stuff right there. That's ancient. Those old white founders, they're a bunch of old racist white people who had slaves. They just they didn't know what they were thinking. Times have changed. How did they know that we would have as many states as we have? How would they know that people would move to New York in droves into an urban centralized area. How would they know that? Anyways, back to the article. The compact will not go into effect until the coalition includes states that add up to 270 electoral votes or more. Once it does go into effect, states are, that are part of the coalition would award their electoral votes in mass to the candidate who wins the national popular vote. That's going to work out really swimmingly for the people of that state. Imagine that. If you were in a state where you voted, think of what if you were in a red state and you just happen to have a governor who is blue? I know people would say, oh, how does that happen? Well, happens quite easily. Just ask the communist wealth of Virginia. Just ask California, the People's Republic of California. They don't get any sort of equal representation across the board, and we're going to get into that. So imagine what you would do if you went to vote and on election night, you're seeing the returns come in and your state is just popping up red, 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 up blue, red, 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 up blue, red, red, red. Oh, the capital is blue. Oh, well, you know what? Hillary Clinton is in the lead on popular vote. We're just going to take their electoral vote and just throw it to her. You don't think that would piss off a ton of people? You don't think in that state that would cause a revolt? Whether or not it's a peaceful political revolt, or there might be people outside your door ready to pull you out into the streets, Mr. Polis. Back to the article. Supporters of the compact say relying on the popular vote would expand the presidential map, incentivizing candidates to travel to states beyond the traditional battlegrounds of Florida and Ohio. Yeah, let's incentivize them to travel to other states via Bernie Sanders' Gulfstream airplane. Why not? Let's get them air traveling everywhere. 
You know, I mean, the high-speed rail under the Green New Deal isn't in effect yet, so they're going to have to take an airplane. Let's get them on some of those Gulf streams with carbon footprints larger than Shaquille O'Neal's Chuck Taylors. Why not? Let's get them flying all over the place because they need to fly around because they're doing the work of the people. They're fighting the good fight. They need to have that amenity. You, you simple rube and flyover country, you need to be able to take light rail everywhere. And especially when you live in an area where, you know, it's, it's decentralized. Yes, you're going to need to drive half an hour to take light rail half an hour to the capital or to the metropolitan district. And then you're going to have to take light rail half an hour back so that you can get back in your car and drive half an hour home when you could have just bypassed it all by just driving a half an hour straight there. But that logic goes out the window for, you know, the Green New Deal, socialist, fascist, communist, whatever you want to call them. Under the national popular vote, the 38 non-battleground states long ignored by the presidential campaigns will be powerful again. Because no candidate can win 270 electoral votes and the White House with also winning the popular vote across all 50 states in the District of Columbia, said John Coza, who chairs National Popular Vote, the group that supports the interstate compact. In 2016, nearly 19 of every 20 events, the two major presidential candidates were in just 12 battleground states. Yeah, let's go ahead and eliminate the fact that you would have to go to battleground states, and so then you can actually avoid going to Wisconsin, right, Hillary? You can avoid going to certain states and just say, ah, we don't need you anyways. You're going to put your electoral votes towards me, even if I don't win your state, even if your state turns red. Ah, screw your state. I'm going to go where I really need to campaign. I'm just not going to show up to Wisconsin like she did in 2016. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to allow my popular vote to slide me on in. And then Wisconsin's going to have to give their electoral vote over to me, even though they voted for Trump. So most of the events were in just six states, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Virginia, Michigan. Combined, President Trump held official campaign events in 26 of the 50 states, leaving nearly 24 solidly red and blue states completely out of the action. How would that have worked for Walter Mondale back in 1980, what, 84, 85, 84? Um, he won one state. But what if that state was the most popular state? What if that state turned out to be a freaking Mecca like a United States version of Kuwait? You know, what if all of the economic uh, transactions and, you know, what if everything moved to New York? Everything of, you know, legitimacy as far as the left is concerned. You know, uh, big business and journalism and Hollywood. And what if all that went to one state and that one state determined the popular vote? Would Reagan, would he have had to given up all 49 red state electoral votes for the one blue. It works both ways, though, guys. You're not always going to win the, the popular vote. You may have when you had George W. Bush, you know, rhino number two up against Al Gore. That may be the case, but it's not always going to go that way. So, again, you're setting up the Biden rule. You're setting up, well, we can't, you know, we can't put in Supreme Court justice during a lame duck session. You're setting up Harry Reid's, oh, well, we're going to go ahead and do away with how we uh, end filibusters and we're going to invoke the nuclear option so that, you know, we just get a popular vote on filibustering. And guess what? When you're not in power, it ain't nearly as fun when the rabbit's got the gun. Going back to the article, Colorado has come close to joining the compact. The state Senate was the first legislative house in the nation to pass a popular vote bill in 2006, but that bill died in the state house. At least 11 other states have advanced popular vote bills in recent months, though at least one chamber of their respective legislatures, uh, legislatures has pushed it through. If all of those states complete those bills... It would add another 80 electoral votes to the compact, just leaving them nine votes shy of reaching the 270 marker. So if you're listening to me and you're going, ah, that'll never happen. They're nine electoral votes away, guys. 
nine. So far, only reliably blue states have joined the compact, including California, Massachusetts, New York, and Washington. But red states like Arkansas, Arizona, and Oklahoma, and purple ones like Michigan and North Carolina have passed the measure through at least one legislative chamber controlled by Republicans, giving backers hopes of breaking through with the GOP. And that's the problem. Rhinos, when you think of it as a binary choice, rhinos are just as suspect as the left. They all have something in the stake, and it's not your interest, especially Republicans. Don't think that, oh, well, you know, we got a red state. Let me tell you about Virginia. Let's talk about how Virginia was a red state. And if you really want to get into the Electoral College and what it would look like if you eliminated that, Virginia is a great example. I mean, right now, the entire state is red. We have a little bruising in the capital, Richmond. Have you been to Richmond? Dump city. And you can thank Tim Kaine when he was mayor for helping aid in that fact. Then Tim Kaine became governor, botched the budget, which was fixed by Bob McDonnell, who they threw him out because, yeah, oh, he must have, he drove around in a car and that was considered a gift. He got the gift of a, you know, sweet, sweet ass luxury ride. That's, that's impeachable. We got to throw him out. Let's bring in Terry McAuliffe, and he's going to make all the felons vote. But that's the thing. Virginia now, because of Obama's expansion of the, of the federal bureaucracy during his time as president, it has then opened up northern Virginia to take over the entire electorate for Virginia. So you have a red state. Everything's decided by Northern Virginia. You go to Northern Virginia, people are living an hour and a half away just to commute in to D.C. because of the cost of living in and around D.C., which Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez can now afford magically. Voila! She has a luxury apartment with an infinity pool right by the Whole Foods, which is owned by Amazon, who she pushed out uh, of New York. But other people have to live in Loray. Other people have to live in far-off areas, maybe even Charlottesville, and they have to drive in and commute. Are they taking light rail? Are they driving 30 minutes to the light rail station and have the high-speed Green New Deal light rail bust them in within an hour? No, that's not happening. But guess what? That has caused the population center in Northern Virginia to grow and make Northern Virginia blue. I mean, it's bluer than freaking Smurfs banging out freaking, you know, hippos. The thing about Virginia, all right, what did that give us because of the elections over the last couple of elections? Well, it gave us, you know, uh, a he-she state delegate who sang for a really crappy death metal band. (laughs) There's your, and she's an activist, or he, he, she, whatever, is an activist. And you know how hard it is to be in a crappy death metal band, first off, you don't even have to be intelligible when you sing. You just got to go. Roar. And then the music doesn't even have to keep a steady beat. You can sound like a busted old antique typewriter. Going, just no rhythm to it whatsoever. And if you can't even do that, there's a problem. So I guess your natural uh, career move would be to be a state delegate in Virginia. But then... These same idiots in Northern Virginia who basically decided our election, they gave us the governor who looked like Homie the Clown back in 1960s hanging out with uh, Robert Byrd in, uh, in a KKK suit. And his wife, who apparently I guess there was some sort of uh, tour going on that she was a part of. And she said, over here is where they uh, picked cotton. And the kid said, wait, a cotton picking minute. And she said, here, here's some cotton. All right. Thank you, uh. Leroy? (laughs) I mean, seriously? So you got the first lady and you've got Mr. Michael Jackson because that was his excuse. Well, I was trying to dress up like Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson wore a clown hat and a bow tie and, you know, big old, big old pants. And he ran around singing, Mammy, are you okay? Are you okay, Mammy? Mammy? No. No, you're lying. Sorry. And then the lieutenant governor who is out there just, you know, uh, being accused by women left and right. And you know what? I understand innocent until proven guilty. But you gave us these rules, left wing fascist. By the way, that's a local band that I actually love. Shout out to my boy, Al. Fascist. 
who now say, oh, well, you have created a social injustice. You now have to be relegated to the dustbin of history and hang out with the Electoral College. Thank you, Colorado. You now have caused an injustice because you have done something that offended someone. You now cannot have a job anymore. Your career is destroyed. Your life will be destroyed. And you will wait around getting a job or maybe even your right to vote back after the felons get theirs restored from Governor McAuliffe. So you got this guy out there being accused by multiple women with pretty solid, you know, uh, corroboration, pretty solid evidence. And he's out there saying, oh, it's nothing, you know. And then you find out when he was talked about uh, how he was going to deal with this with his staffers. He said, F that B-I-T-C-H. And then you follow it up with Mr. Curtis Blow, attorney, <laughs> attorney General Mark Herring. You know, basketball is his favorite sport. He likes, the way, he likes to see the way it dribbles up and down the court, you know, because these are the breaks. I mean, he said he dressed up in blackface for Curtis Blow. We're down to delegates now. I mean, we had, I mean, we're, we're down to state delegates. Maybe we can get a city council member to step up in the line of secession to take over the governing of the state of Virginia. Why not? There's nobody left. Everybody's blackface or whatever. And who gave this to us? Northern Virginia picked all of these people. Northern Virginia was the one saying, oh, well, you know, Ed Gillespie is a racist. His Trump-supporting electorate are a bunch of racists driving big old F-150 pickup trucks with Confederate flags on the back chasing brown people, you know, illegal immigrants out. Never mind the fact that they're overlooking the fact that we have an MS-13 problem going out of control. In Virginia, we're nowhere near the Mexican-American border. But the popular vote gave us Ralph Northam. The popular vote gave us the he-she-death-metal-singing state delegate. The popular vote gave us the womanizing and rapist Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. The popular vote gave us Mr. Curtis Blow, Attorney General Mark Herring. So people, you know, in Franklin, well, I don't know about Franklin, maybe people in, uh, you know, short pump, People uh, down here in the south, uh, eastern part of Hampton Roads, our votes didn't mean crap. And in fact, the state overwhelmingly was red for Trump, but the Electoral College flipped to Hillary Clinton. So what if Trump led? What if Trump was the popular vote leader and Hillary Clinton would have had her Electoral College vote which shouldn't have even been given to her in the state of Virginia, flipped on over. Be careful what you wish for, Democrats, because the precedents that you set will blow up in your face. But the continual attack on the Electoral College, you know, it stays laser-focused by the left, and they don't realize that this could blow up in their face if it doesn't work out in their favor. So the New York Times had an interesting poop take, a little hot take, a steaming pile take, by Mara Gay. She is a New York Times editorial board member, subway rider, Rockaway beachgoer, and politics and all things New York. She tweeted, the Electoral College is the greatest threat to our democracy. Yeah, the greatest threat to our democracy. So basically what she says is they've been talking about how this movement that we've been talking about, Jared Polis, governor of Colorado, passing this national popular vote interstate compact on throwing away his state's electoral college votes for whoever the popular guy is or gal. And she goes on to talk about Paul LePage, former governor of Maine, who's retired. I guess he still dabbles in conservatism, uh, conservative media, but he, he dismissed the proposal, according to her, as an attack on political rights of white people. Actually, what would happen if they do get rid of the Electoral College, if it, what would happen if they do what they're saying they're going to do, is white people will not have anything to say, he said. It's only going to be the minorities that would elect. It would be California, Texas, Florida. That's racist nonsense by Mr. LePage. Well, you know what? First off, Mr. LePage isn't really a conservative. Have you ever seen his voting record? Have you ever talked or listened to him talk? But 
he is a good person to pin the GOP tag on and be the straw man that they decide to project this racist, old, white, founding fathers, BS, called the Electoral College upon. She said, but it's useful to think about in a way because beneath LePage's objection is an unintentionally keen observation about the electoral status quo. If the direct election of the president would give equal rights to all voters, then the Electoral College works to give outsized weight to a narrow group of voters in a handful of states. That bias is why Donald Trump is president. A healthy plurality chose his opponent, but his supporters dominated key swing states. It could happen again. A 2018 report on America's future political demagoguery found four realistic scenarios in which Democrats win the national popular vote but lose the Electoral College because of the geography of the electorate. As it stands, the most visible Democrat speaking against is former Attorney General Eric Holder. Wow, really? That's that guy, and he actually just said he's not going to run for office, for, for president, so... Thank God for that. Who isn't running for president, by the way? I mean, the Democrats have a bench bigger than what the GOP had during their time. But yeah, the Electoral College is racist. Attorney General Eric Holder, Mr. Fast and Furious, Mr. I'm going to take over the ROTC building with a gun. We're going to take it hostage, and I'm a part of the Black Panthers. Back in his college days, he decided to say that the Electoral College is racist, Basically, says, time to make the Electoral College a vestige of the past. It's undemocratic. It forces candidates to ignore minority voters and campaign in a small number of states. There is that talking point. The talking point where um, they now want to say that candidates will not visit certain states under the Electoral College because it's not necessary. Um, They're going to spend the majority of their time in battleground states, no question. But guess what? What are those battleground states? Um, Probably not the battleground states that would be the battleground if the Electoral College was removed. Everybody would have to have to lobby for vote in California and New York. I mean, that's a dumb argument. And it's also equally stupider. And I'm going to use that word stupider because even if it isn't a word, it explains the ignorance of this argument. If you're going to be fighting climate change. So I, I, I guess it's okay to have your candidate fly in his Gulf Stream all around the country because, you know, that's, they're allowed to do that. They're going to be fighting on behalf of ending climate change and uh, this racist electoral college, if we could just get rid of that, will make the difference. And then they can fly everywhere. But James Madison, another Virginian, this is from the article, actually favored popular elections of the president, but saw the writing on the wall. The right of suffrage was more divisive in the northern states than it is in the southern states, he continued in a discussion. And the latter could have no influence in the election on the score of the Negroes. Uh Uh-oh, there it is. It's amazing. The system worked as intended in two elections, 1789 when George Washington won his first one and 1792 when he won again. The flaws were apparent by 1796 when John Adams became the president with the runner-up Thomas Jefferson as his vice president, despite being opponents who had been running mates aligned with their political factions. Um, Well, we probably shouldn't have political parties. First off, we're down to two and we can never break the two-party duopoly. And now they're the unibrow. They work together in concert to sell us out. They don't have our best interest at hand. That's why politics is broke. That's right. Politics is broke on both sides of the aisle. And guess who is going to come along and illustrate how broken it is? Guess who's going to try to attempt to fix it? Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, Mystique. Tiffany Maxwell from Silver Linings Playbook is going to make it happen, and we'll get into that on the other side of the break. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So just to recap what we've been talking about is the left is making this push to eliminate the Electoral College, amongst a couple of other things that we're going to get to in a little bit, like... 
uh, ranked voting and all types of uh, crazy state issues that they think they can shift and massage the federal government and the federal election process. We're going to get into all that with uh, one of our favorite uh, actresses. So hmm, it's going to be great. Can't wait to miss that. But what the left fails to realize is when they get into this whole thing about the Electoral College, they're basing on formulatic data. They're basing it on demographics. They're basing it on past history. But they're not basing it on anything outside of the variables that they can't predict. I mean, we all know there's loyalty to the Democrat Party. The party says jump. The voters say how high. I mean, think about it. The black community has been voting Democrats for ages. Think about what they're doing with the Jewish community. You have Ilhan Omar out there, or Ilhan, whatever your name is, Ilhan Omar. She gets to spout out anti-Semitic garbage on a continual basis. She gets, oh, you need to apologize here. We're going to sit down and talk with you there. We're going to, you know, uh, you probably need to delete that tweet here. We're going to have to uh, have a conversation and denounce you there. And then what do we get? We get articles saying, oh, well, you know, the Democrats should still vote for the party and they should back people like Ilhan Omar, even though people think that she's anti-Semitic. So they want that blind loyalty and they typically get it. They get quite a bit of that blind loyalty. But they fail to understand the ramifications of some of their ideological overreaching. You know, they don't realize that there's a lot of people out there don't like socialism. It's a lot of people out there who sided, and you hear it all the time, John F. Kennedy wouldn't recognize his party, and that's true. I mean, really, think about what the left has been programmed to believe since the late 70s, early 90, or early 80s. It's basically been, these are the party, the Republicans are the party of the prudes. They're the ones with the Christian coalition. You know, they're the ones who... They want you to believe a certain way and you can't, you know, have uh, you have to have strict control over your activities. And they believe that, you know, the Republicans, they aren't the cool guys. They were the cool guys. Remember, there was the whole switch, the bit what I call the big switch. You know, it's like the Big Bang Theory. There's the big switch theory where they say, oh, the Southern Convention is when the Democrats and the Republicans switch sides. They did a big old dosey do and they said, here, you have my platform. Hey, thank you. How about you take ours? And they just did a little gift swap. You know, we'll take up the racism and you take up the party of being uh, liberating. That's how it's been spun. And if you think about it, the Christian coalition, these guys were simply people that are going, you guys are passing baby killing provisions. We just want to conserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, granted, they went about it marketing the wrong way because they did so in a way of, uh, in my opinion, judgment. You know, it's Jerry Falwell. You got Jerry Falwell Jr. out here pandering for Donald Trump. So it's amazing how far they will go down the road. But at the time, you know, they were standing up for their Christian beliefs. And I believe a lot of what they believe in. So I would have said the same to a degree. Granted, again, I would have gone about it a different way. But, you know, it was always there. The Republicans are the parties of the prude and uh, they're not the cool group. And so these people wanted to join a group that doesn't judge. The liberating group, the people that go, well, you know, maybe I do like to do this or maybe I like this lifestyle. And and, and, And so they looked at it more from a lifestyle standpoint and not from a principle standpoint. And so they rejected the Republicans for decades. And the Republicans did nothing to fight back against this. Even within their own party, you had those, I'm a fiscal conservative, but I'm a social liberal. That means, yeah, you know, I like the monetary policy because it's responsible, but all the other stuff makes me look uncool, so I don't want to be a part associated with the GOP on that side. Okay? Kind of got to pick something. Straddling the fence only goes so far. Yeah, we all like to be financially sound and uh, fiscally responsible, but where do you draw the line as a part of what's considered conservative and what is just considered against conserving the values that the country was built upon? 
But this was built upon the media and the left rebranding groups like the Christian Coalition, born out of trying to stand up for the lives of abortion or the lives of unborn babies and against abortion. And you can use the stats that show that the most urban metropolitan areas always vote Democrat when you come up with this this new formula by getting rid of the Electoral College. And you can talk about how this would impact um, your war game scenario, you know, show the removal of the Electoral College and how it would work in your favor. But could this scenario work with a party who advocates for the violent beatings of its political enemies like Antifa? What about the party that advocates for a totalitarian governing ideology like socialism? Oh, you will say what we say or we will ban you from tech companies across the platforms, whether it's Google, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook. We will shut you down and then we will demonetize you like we do with YouTube or maybe Stripe. We will make sure that you can't process credit card payments. You can't use your credit card to buy a gun. You can't use your credit card to support those who are putting information out on Islamists like Robert Spencer with Jihad Watch. Not Richard Spencer, but Robert Spencer. He's great. Go look him up. We're going to make people forced to, to bake the cake against their religious beliefs. You know, all of these things have shown that they are a totalitarian group. That if you don't play ball by the way they want you to play, they're going to they're gonna flatten you politically, socially, culturally. This is what the walk away movement led to. This is where black America realized they nothing's been done for them for eight years, even before that. But with eight years in particular with a black president, these people voted for Trump, by the way. And remember, the walkaway movement that we've been talking about really picked up steam after Trump's election. So it has even more reaching ramifications. So keep that in mind. Let's let's take a look at what happens, too, when you get rid of the Electoral College, as we looked at in Virginia. You know, we looked at the fact that every single uh, politician voted for governor, lieutenant governor, uh, attorney general, um, even some of the state delegates all decided by Northern Virginia and now have all got storied past and storied uh, issues with their character. And now Virginia Democrats elect their first anti their first anti-Semite their first Islamist. While Virginia Democrats are debating whether to oust Governor Northam for wearing blackface, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax over rape allegations, and Attorney General Mark Herring for also wearing blackface, Curtis Blow, these are the breaks. A much more blatant example of contemporary bigotry by a Virginia Democrat has come to light. Ibrahim Samira running in a special election for the seat in Virginia House of Delegates, had his social media history exposed. Aside from the usual rants about Israel, Samira, I guess that's how you say his last name, had posted that the Jews had stolen his grandfather's land and washed off as the promised land for Jews only, using the Torah and Zionist ideology, a 3,000-year religious book and a 100,000-year Jew-only philosophy. (laughs) His hatred for Israel wasn't even in the news, the Jordanian Muslim BDS activist, remember, that's boycott, divestment, and sanction, basically defund Israel, make it impossible for Israel to do business with anyone other than themselves. He, he had served as a spokesman for the Students for Justice in Palestine, a hate group whose chapters had been involved in numerous anti-Semitic incidents ranging from hate speech to acts of violence. Now, this is what happens when you get an electorate who decides, eh, you know what, we're just going to vote for the Democrat and we're going to basically be able to pick and choose who the Democrat party is going to put into power because we have the popularity. We have the majority in the state of Virginia. And again, I say Andrew Wilkow over there at SiriusXM, I say his idea of state electoral college positions would solve all this. In fact, that's the opposite of what they're saying. They're saying, let's do away with the electoral college. I agree with, let's take the electoral college system and then adopt it on a state-by-state basis. That would fix all of this. That would make equitable representation. Districts with popular votes, they already have these kind of things uh, as far as, you know, 
how many delegates and what have you they had. Why couldn't they apply that same situation on a state level? That would help California. That would help Texas. That would, I mean, not Texas, but that would help Virginia. So these are things that we need to think about. But we've got the left out there with uh, their actors and actresses like Jennifer Lawrence. You know, Tiffany Maxwell from Silver Linings Playbook is going to come up with her crazy idea about how they can fix politics. And with that being said, let's listen to Jennifer Lawrence and her Hollywood elite tell us, you know, how they can fix the brokenness of politics. We are witnessing a total political system failure in America. Cue serious, intellectually enlightening, politically engaged music, please. Thanks. If you're anything like me, you may find yourself constantly overwhelmed by everything that's wrong with politics. And when I say politics, I'm not talking about Democrats or Republicans. I'm talking about the flaws that exist in our political system, regardless of which party is in power. So are we gonna start blaming the old white slave-owning founding fathers? And I know it's hard to talk about politics these days, but look, the government is ours. We pay for it, so it needs to work for us. And right now it doesn't. And although we pay for it, please do not jack up my tax rate to a place where all I do is pay for it. And I mean, it really doesn't. So what's going on here? Is it Russian meddling and social media? Is it him? Is it her? No. Those two were the least popular presidential candidates since they began keeping track of such things. Except for maybe Al Gore and George W. Bush when they ran against each other. Only 4% of Americans have a great deal of confidence in Congress now. Just 4%. 4% approval rating in Congress? You do know that even orange bad guy and crotchety old cankles Clinton they both had better approval ratings than Congress. America is no longer even considered a full democracy. Uh, America was never considered a full democracy. It's a constitutional republic. Direct democracy, full democracy. That leads to the popular vote that we've spent the entire show talking about how you guys want to eliminate the Electoral College to lead to a full democracy, which always leads to a charismatic totalitarian that the popularity vote goes to against the will of the entire nation, and that person takes hold of power, brings his cronies in, and then changes the rules, and then we're now sliding towards communism, Marxism, and authoritarianism. We are witnessing a total political system failure in America, which is the complete opposite of what our nation's founders had in mind. So I'm gonna show you three lines that show what's causing this failure, how we can fix it, and what you can do about it. So here's your first line. What I want you to do is take any issue you really care about and picture it on this line. This line comes from a Princeton University study that shows how public opinion influences the laws that Congress does or doesn't pass. They looked at 1,800 public opinion polls over a 20-year period, and we took their data and plotted it in this chart. See this horizontal line? That shows public support for a law amongst average Americans. This vertical line? That shows the likelihood of the public support leading to the passage of a law. When you plot it for the average American, you get a line that looks like this. There's your issue sitting on that line. Hey Jen, where's the line for where I line up to do lines of Adderall off of the hooker who made these lines? Uh, behind. Where do, where do I get behind in that line? If there is zero support for a law, there's about a 30% chance that Congress is going to pass it. And if there is 100% support for something, the most popular thing ever, there's still a 30% chance that Congress is going to pass it. And there's lots of lines and there's a graph and, you know, we sound smart because we put lines and percentages uh, 30%, 100%, and uh, it all goes back to 30%. And thank you for the lines and graphs there, Tiffany Maxwell. So the line is horizontal because no matter how much support there is among average Americans, there's still a 30% chance that Congress is going to pass that law. And there's going to be 100% of a chance that I'm going to be as horizontal as this horizontal line, uh, snoring, drooling, while you explain to me how we're going to fix all these effing lines. Get to it. Get to the stuff. I'm falling asleep over here. 
Princeton determined that the preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near-zero, statistically non-significant impact on public policy. How in the hell does that happen? Consider this. Politicians are spending up to 70% of their time raising funds for re-election after they get into office. Why? Because in order to win a seat in the Senate in some races, you would have to raise $45,000 every single day, 365 days a year for six years to raise enough money to win. Now break down those statistics and those metrics into how John Ossoff, who was a Democrat who didn't even live in his district in Georgia, uh, got a ton of money dumped on him and uh, tons of support from the Democrat Party and in fact, lost to Karen Handel. Let's talk about Beto O'Rourke having millions and millions of dollars dumped in from all across the country, not even in the state he was running in, and all the support that he had behind the Democrat Party up against Ted Cruz, and yet he still lost. How many days, uh, a week, and how many years does it take to make that, that money? Only 0.05% of Americans give more than $10,000 to politics. And then you see why politicians have become completely dependent on the 0.05% of Americans, billionaires and special interest groups, who fund their campaigns. Meanwhile, you've got lobbyists writing our laws and donating to the politicians who pass them. We have a two-party duopoly of Democrats and Republicans that makes it so that independents can't win, while the American people are leaving the major parties in droves. As you can see here, Nearly half of American voters are now registered independent. Now, I will agree with you on the two-party duopoly. We need more variety. Yeah, we've got people leaving in droves. A lot of people call themselves independent because they don't want to sit there and have to defend a party that they barely care about on either side of the aisle. But yeah, um, there's a lot of people leaving these parties because the establishments in these parties have insulated themselves and built their own subculture that they don't want anybody like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or a Ted Cruz to penetrate. And then there's gerrymandering, with politicians drawing the boundaries of their own voting districts into crazy shapes designed to prevent competition. Today, only 14% of House campaigns are actually competitive. 86% of them are not. The gerrymandering process at a state level requires a lot of back and forth between the state legislature and how the governor and what have you goes into it. And none of that, yeah, it has an effect on the House races to a degree, but it doesn't have an effect on the Senate. And the Senate should have never been voted by popular vote. It should have been senators placed in by the state legislatures as the design of the Constitution in its original founding. That way it isn't voted for it is based on what you vote for for your state legislature and we wonder why young people feel that their vote doesn't matter i've covered a lot here but it all adds up to this vast ring of influence over our elected leaders it's a corrupt system in which we the people have near zero influence over our own government and that is sad that is not the country I feel like I grew up in. But what's worse is that by allowing this to happen, we are causing the failure of the most important issues facing our nation. We're wasting trillions of dollars a year on fraud and abuse in our own government. One in five American children live in poverty. Our healthcare is the most expensive in the world. We have more people in prison per capita than Russia and China. We're losing jobs to the rest of the world, and we're not even doing enough to keep our air and our water clean for our children. So basically, she wants jailbreak, uh, you know, prison reform. We've got climate change with the air and the water. Somehow we have to eliminate poverty by the government. Oh, yeah. And the government is also going to fix the rising health care prices that are a direct result of implementing government mandated health care. Jen, you're on the wrong path. You want businesses to come back? You want manufacturing? What have you to come back? Reduce the tax rates, reduce the regulations, create a favorable business environment, and all of these businesses will come home to the safety and security of a prosperous, free nation, the freest in the entire world like the United States. America was founded on the promise of self-governance, but instead we have statistically 
non-significant impact on public policy. So the question is, how do we unrig this system? I'm obsessed with this idea, not just of unrigging it, but actually fixing it. That's when I met Josh. This is it. Yeah, I'm obsessed with the idea, which is why I'm gonna let Josh do all the talking right now. This is the issue behind the issues. If we fix the system, we'll have so much more power to fix everything else. So I spoke to some of the most brilliant people in the country. Constitutional scholar Lawrence Lessig, Zephyr Teachout, and dozens of other constitutional scholars and experts and strategists. They all said the same thing. You could pass a law that would stop political bribery and fix our broken elections, and if you could do that, you could wrest power away from the corrupt establishment and put it back in the hands of the people. How many more laws do you want to pass to try to fix things? What you passed on campaign finance reform has caused super PACs to go out and funnel their own money and run ads that aren't even associated with the actual candidates and then that money gets funneled through in many manufactured ways heck sometimes it can be funneled through uh through a campaign like alexandria ocasio-cortez and we'll just funnel that money back over to our personal businesses maybe we'll funnel it through the clinton foundation you can pass as many laws as you want but money is still voice and Again, we should be eliminating regulation, eliminating stupid laws that do nothing but get people more creative about how they can get around these laws. Here's how you fix our broken elections. End gerrymandering with independent redistricting commissions. Create ranked choice voting so third parties and independents can run and win. We've talked about ranked choice voting before. It's a dumb system. Mike from Conservative Library actually brought it up. And this is a system where voters rank candidates in preference on their ballots. And if a candidate wins a majority of the first preference of votes, he or she is declared the winner. If no candidate wins a majority of the first preference of votes, the candidate with the fewest first preference votes is eliminated, and the first preference votes cast for the failed candidate are eliminated, lifting the second preference choices indicated on those ballots. Yeah, so we want to get rid of the Electoral College and make it just, you know, popular vote, but then we're going to go ahead and change how we do the voting and do ranked voting. So, you know, if the first seed doesn't win, the second seed will then take precedent over the first seed. And then we're going to get more convoluted than that. Great idea. Let's complicate the crap out of voting and have somebody who is ranked third on the list who may have gotten third popular vote the winner of the entire election. Implement automatic voter registration and vote from home. Automatic voter registration and voting from home? I mean, come on, man. If you are not engaged enough to take it upon yourself to register to vote, to be a concerned citizen, to then make the choice as to whether or not you feel your voice is necessary in this fight, and then get off your damn ass and get out of the house to get down to the polling place. I mean, hell, you've got absentee ballots you've got vote early ballots they've got drive-through ballots you can drive right up and place your vote and never get it out of your car do you want fries with that i don't know but do you need to have it so much so that everybody's automatically registered and then you can vote from home like it's american idol or the voice i mean come on and here's how we can crack down on political bribery overhaul lobbying and ethics laws and close the revolving door so politicians can't be bribed with high-paying job offers. Mandate full transparency of political spending so we know who's trying to buy influence. Give every voter a $50 or $100 tax voucher so politicians spend time fundraising from their constituents, not just that 0.05% that I talked about earlier. So basically, you're going to outlaw anyone that has ever had anything to do with a campaign to uh, maybe they have a talent in a certain field to have the freedom to go into that field and work as somebody uh, helping that political cause. I guess that's all out the window. And then you're going to turn around and give everybody a voucher, a tax voucher. What do you, so they're going to automatically take that and they're going to use that as a donation to the candidates. I mean, none of this sounds any, I mean, it all sounds pretty insane and really not a workable solution by any means. Oh, and don't forget the campaign transparency, the donations. That's about the Citizens United thing. That's code word for Citizens United. And like we said, 501c4s are organizations who can hide whatever donations that they receive. And groups that would be affected by this would be your Soros types. And that's probably not something 
that they're figuring into their calculations because those are the groups that Jennifer Lawrence and this Josh guy would all support. If you could pass even just some of these reforms, you would undo that ring of influence and begin to reinstate we the people as the most important influence over our elected leaders. That's nice that they want to make all these measures, go to each state, say, hey, you can't change your districting around if you need to, and we're going to make finance, financing transparent and do these ranked choice voting. How about we go back to the basics? How about if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing in Congress, who we elect them to go to operate on our behalf, maybe we look into Article 5 Convention of States. Maybe we get our state legislatures together to begin the Article 5 process. And maybe then we could do things like putting term limits on how many times somebody can run for Senate or for Congress. Maybe then we can look at even term limits on judges if they're going to be judicial activists and not acting to the letter of the law. You know, those are the things that we really can look into doing. Article 5 is a provision in the Constitution given to us to do the things that we need to do to fix this problem if the other way doesn't work. You don't need to do all of these crazy ranked choice voting things and getting rid of the Electoral College is one of the dumbest moves you can possibly do, but they're going to try to do this on a state-by-state basis, so keep that in mind. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to us on Mojo Five O every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also on Saturday and Sunday, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Also, you can check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, Podbean, iHeart, TuneIn, Google Play, Overcast. We are on all of the podcast uh, outlets. Anything available, you want to go there? You can find it, Adrian Slade Show. That's all you got to do is search. Find me on Twitter, at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show. We're also on Facebook, Gab, Convo, MeWe, Parlor. You can also donate to the show, anchor.fm, or even go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show, and you can listen to us every week. Donate and support the show. Be sure to give us a five-star review on the podcast outlet of your choice, even on Stitcher. We'll see you guys next time.